This is Public Hearing, an Auburn City News podcast brought to you by the Auburn Plainsman. I'm Elizabeth Hurley, Community Editor for the Plainsman. And I'm Evan Meelans, Assistant Community Editor for the Plainsman. We're almost there. Yep. I mean, basically there now, I guess. Yeah, we're basically done. I finished up yesterday, actually. Are you are you going back home um, for the break? I'm hanging around for a little while, um, and then I'll and then I'll head out. Gotcha. Got to work. Oh. That goes. Yeah. Yep. 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 People like to shop for the holidays. I mean, who would have thought that? I guess. Uh, don't remind me. I've got to do a lot of that. Um, so we're back this week with another local official. Joining us this week is Auburn Planning Director Forrest Cotton. Mr. Cotton comes to Auburn from Florida. He graduated from the University of South Florida in 1993 with his bachelor's and again in 1995 with his master's in public administration. From there, he worked in city and county governments throughout Florida. In 2005, Mr. Cotton moved to Auburn to take on his current job as city planning director. He has certainly seen a lot of change moving from Florida to Alabama and even more change in Auburn, with the city growing by over 10,000 people from 2010 to 2018, according to the Census Bureau. We sat down with Mr. Cotton to talk about his job as planning director and how that impacts many aspects of your life. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Cotton. I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So we just wanted to talk a little bit about you and your job and kind of how that relates to members of our community. So tell us, what is the day in a life like for a city planner or and for you as planning director? Well, the the planning department and, and the planning director specifically, my fundamental responsibility is to be the administrator of the city zoning ordinance and subdivision regulation. So anything that has to do with land use and development has to go through our department for review. Um, certain uses are only allowed in certain areas. Uh, we regulate all types of different standards, setbacks for single-family residences. For example, if you followed a lot of the issues that we've been facing with student dorms and private dorms downtown, height is a big issue for folks downtown. We have a 75-foot height maximum, so not surprisingly, a lot of these newer student developments are seeking to basically maximize the developability <laughs> of the property. So most of the ones you see are 75 feet tall mm. ones. All of those things go through a very uh, lengthy review process with not just the planning department, but essentially any department in the city that deals with infrastructure, um, like roads, transportation, water and sewer. We work most closely, in fact, with our uh, engineering services department, as well as our water resource management department. Hmm. So uh, all those types of things are being looked at when you're reviewing development to make sure that we have the capacity and the ability to serve the folks that are going to be uh, in those new developments. And so you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but talk to us about how you use the city code and the city's zoning ordinance every day. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of a planner's Bible, really. Everyone <laughs> has a copy readily available. Um, our zoning ordinance is, uh, I would say it's a bit more complex than other zoning ordinances that I've worked with in prior positions in my career. Um, it's very technical, and so it's not always easy, and most of the times it's not easy for a layman to interpret it because it's it's like anything else. Uh, if you don't do it every day, uh, it's not going to be really easy to understand. You've got to have some experience working with it, applying it, <laughs> interpreting it. So we work we work a lot with the public. Um, city government, you really have. You really have two sides of city government. You have what we call support departments or internal departments. These are departments that don't have a lot of daily contact with the public necessarily. They're largely dealing with supporting the city function. So like a finance department, an IT department, 
those would be good examples of that. And then you have line departments, which are the people that by the very nature of their jobs are dealing with the public on a daily basis. Firemen, policemen, uh, planning staff, engineering folks, uh, public works folks, people that are out in the field constantly um, doing mostly physical capital improvement work for the city, but also uh, has a considerable amount of public interface. And, and, and planning is on is really on that side of the equation, meaning we deal a lot with members of the develop, development community, someone who wants to come in as a piece of property, wants to know what they can do with it. Um, subdiv all subdivision activity goes through our department. So you see how much we're growing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, as Auburn continues to grow, I always say we're becoming less and less of a college town and more of kind mm -hmm. of a really more of an urban environment where the college is certainly a part of the community, but it's no longer... It's not so much that you just think Auburn University all the time. <laughs> Auburn's kind of becoming, it's, it's, it's establishing its own identity as a location and being now the eighth largest city in the state of Alabama. So, um, a lot, you know, we've got a lot of things happening. Uh, and um, I find myself, I say that my job and my department's job is we're planners, but we're also in the quality of life business, meaning... Um, we've put a lot of tools in place, most notably our comprehensive plan that was adopted back in 2011 to knowing that we're a desirable community to live in. I always say if you're not growing, you're dying. There's no in between. Right. Yeah. People want to come here, but it's important that when they do come here, that we've created an environment where growth is occurring in a way that's managed and responsible and that we have the infrastructure in place so that our, we manage our traffic appropriately um, we locate amenities and services to neighborhoods so that folks don't have to drive across town to go grocery shopping. Right. Um, that they can go to the you know the closest intersection and minimize those vehicle trips, which then minimize traffic. So um, I like it because it's not we don't come in and make widgets all day. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. every day's different. You don't know who's going to come in the door. You don't know what you're going to be asked to do. You don't know what's going to come up at a public hearing. Um, we have a lot of board and committee responsibility, the Board of Zoning Adjustment, the Planning Commission, the Historic Preservation Commission, the Downtown Design Review Committee, uh, and so forth and so on. So it's really, uh, we're, we're a busy bunch, but I'd rather be busy than twiddling my thumb. Right. Because then that'd be kind of boring. Yeah, every day, every day so, is different. So yeah, I, I'd certainly appreciate um, the responsibility that we have and what we get to do every day. Right, so... Um, is part of the complexity of like the city code and the city ordinance, is that part, is that due in part to the growth of the city? I think so. Fundamentally, we have a very unique zoning type. It's called performance mm -hmm. zoning, which is, uh, that's, that's in stark contrast to the vast majority of jurisdictions throughout the country that have what we call Euclidean zoning, which means okay. it's pretty straightforward. You're basically segregating your uses by district. So you have an R1 district, for example, which might be single-family residential. You've got all your single-family here. And then you've got an R3, which might be multifamily, and that's here. And that's a transition to the maybe commercial that's on the other side, right? Okay. We have a, what you call performance, which and it's changed a lot. We call it a hybrid now. We, we've essentially, the ordinance is entirely different than it was 15 years ago when I started here. And a lot of that's by design. But... At its heart, it's still what we call a performance zoning ordinance, which is predicated on having a fewer number of zones, but having a wider array of uses that can go within a certain zone, with the premise being that if you have the appropriate development standards in place, like um, maximum floor area ratios, like landscape buffering requirements, that 
you can require a lot of things of a development that help make it compatible with another type of use that might be next door to it. Right. So you're saying it's more broken up based on how this place operates, less about like where it is? To some extent, okay. yes. If, if you looked at our zoning map, it would look much like a Jackson Pollock painting, <laughs> meaning it just looks kind of messy until you understand why the why it is the way it is. And the why, why it is the way it is is because of the, the zoning form that we okay. utilize here. Okay. Now, we are doing some other things, like downtown, for example. We're getting very form-based with downtown. Um, we've been, I think we've done an excellent job of planning appropriately in terms of streetscape improvements, mm -hmm. making... Um, a lot of putting a lot greater emphasis in recent years on non-automobile forms of traffic, you know, being, okay. being more sensitive to pedestrian traffic, being more sensitive to bicycle traffic and encouraging a lot of that foot traffic so that when students are moving downtown, they're not as they're not as in dire need of using their vehicle mm -hmm. other than perhaps on the weekend to go home. Right. Right. And so that that helps downtown function better. Um, you know, we're work, we've done some things from a regulatory perspective. We're going to start seeing some non-student development, I think, in fairly near mm -hmm. term in our downtown to help ensure that we've got a, a good, healthy demographic mix downtown so that everybody likes to be there. Yeah. Students like to be there, but non-students like to be there. Seniors like to be there. Empty nesters, I think we all win when we're able to facilitate that because everybody loves downtown, so everybody yep. should feel welcome there. And the city's making a lot of concerted efforts to make sure that that, uh, that, that happens over time. Yeah, that, that's one thing I've heard is that um, a lot of times people feel overwhelmed going downtown when it's all students. You know, like you're not, you might not want to go downtown on a Friday night when, you know, all the college students <laughs> are going downtown. So. Well, last night, for example, after mm -hmm. planning commission, a few of us went to Moe's Barbecue, and it was nice and empty at about 6.30. Right. About 8.30, it changed. <laughs> yep. And so yeah. we just kind of go on home and, you know, because it's been, but if I, that's the part of a college town, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I keep different hours than y'all. I'm sure I go to bed earlier than you do. Yeah. Um, and that's just, uh, that's the nature of just different demographics in our community and the different lifestyle. For sure. Now, I wanted to ask you one thing about downtown. A couple of uh, projects throughout the years have come up that all inc that included an urban grocer. You've always been a big proponent of that. Oh, the, I think this, I think all of us at the city are a big proponent of that. If you go back and look at our downtown master plan that was adopted in, at the very latter part of 2016. Actually, it was adopted at the end of 15 and we codified it in 16. But we, it had a specific market study component where we had a subconsultant come in um, and really analyze the fabric of our non-residential uses. And we're actually in a really good place other than we still are looking for that urban grocer. And there have been a number of different proposals that for various different reasons haven't worked out, but I feel confident that in relatively short order, we will see a grocer downtown. And once we see that grocer downtown, I think you're going to see increased interest by non-students mm -hmm. in making the move downtown, mm -hmm. right? Because when people move downtown, they're, they're making a lifestyle choice. They don't want to have to drive if they don't have to, right? For daily goods and services, right? <laughs> um, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, a lot, you, you go to urban, environment, urban environments like New York, people don't go to grocery store once a week. They go every day to just pick up what mm -hmm. they need for, the, mm -hmm. for dinner right. and maybe half of the next day. And that's just the routine, right? You yeah. go to the neighborhood market and, and there's a lot of quality of life benefits that things are fresher. Mm -hmm. um, you're more likely to buy fresh produce and things like that because you know you're going to use them immediately. You're not having a lot of stockpile at the house. So there's a lot of neat things that go along with um, having an urban fabric that, that works. So 
talk about how the city has changed since you first started working in Auburn. I never thought I would see so much change in a relatively quick period of time. And there are a lot of there are a lot of folks at the city have been been here a lot longer than I've been here, but I've been here for a while, fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And I just use this example, but if you wanted to go get something to eat after a night meeting in two thousand five when I came here, you had you would go to Buffalo's at the bottom of Magnolia Plaza and that was really about it. <laughs> I mean, downtown was dead. Mm-hmm. It, it, and so I think people, you know, you ha- it's a delicate balance, but you hear a lot of people, you know, anti-growth. Well, it all depends on how you look. I mean, the kinds of choices that we have across the board, whether it's shopping, dining, entertaining, um, it's just night and day different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what attracts more people, right? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a snowball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. When people see, wow, look at all the choice, look at all the different dining choices I have downtown. You know, it's really worth it for us to go town and make an evening out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that's more, in my opinion, that's more positive than negative for sure. Yeah. Um, but the, but the key is to do it right, you know, do it right. Um, manage the growth appropriately. And I think, I think we're doing that. I think we've seen a few, what I call leapfrog examples of sprawl subdivision development that was, that went on. That was because there wasn't a lot of things to regulate that type mm-hmm. of activity. I think since we had the comprehensive plan in place, we've really done a good job of putting an increased emphasis on infill and redevelopment as opposed to peripheral, for lack of a better word, sprawl development. Right. And yeah. I think those are the kinds of things that if you implement those over time, people really begin to see the difference. See huh. that, hey, you know, the city's not just growing. The city's growing intelligently. There's a lot <laughs> of deliberate decision-making that goes on by a lot of different people for these things to happen. Mm-hmm. They don't just happen that way out of thin air. They happen because they're happening within a framework that's carefully guarded, carefully regulated, and for with the intent of getting very desirable outcomes. Right. So, so what does desirable mean in this context? Is that just more so, something that works, something that's okay. palatable, something that pe- something that not something that's not just functional but is pleasing to the eye that people mm-hmm. can get behind? And you know, for example, with the student housing development, uh, a lot of people had very, very vastly different opinions about our first private dorm development, which was at that time 160 North Ross, right mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. the street from my office. And some people thought, oh, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Other people couldn't stand it. And right. so what, when that happens, what it gives the staff is an opportunity to really troubleshoot our regulations. Yeah. What works about that project? What doesn't? What could we change to facilitate something that's an improved product? And that was really a lot of what went on with the downtown master plan and the outgrowth mm. of that and a lot of the code changes that happened. Um, you know, we've been, we are so much more deliberate and well-planned for streetscape improvements primarily. You know, we stay ahead, we're staying ahead of the curve on street, so that when a developer comes in and they decide they're going to build this development, here's exactly what you have to do in what we call the public realm, which is where the pedestrian's going to be. Right. You've got to have street trees, you've got to have street lighting, you've got to have... You've got to have seat benches. We're really trying to activate mm-hmm. that space so that yeah. people feel comfortable. You know, we're very sen- we don't want to see a lot of blank walls on mm-hmm. the ground floors of buildings. Well, why? Because it makes it dark and it's generally unsafe. The more eyes you have on the street, the more transparency you have, fenestration, glass front windows, mm. um, the more people are likely to patronize those businesses and feel comfortable after hours traversing downtown, mm. right? Um, and, and, you know, and, We've got a we've got a long way to go on some of our secondary streets, but 
um, we're doing so much better of a job. You know, the, it's always the, the north side of what we call our urban neighborhood west area, or that neighborhood on that's on. You got the older student housing stock, mm-hmm. kind of crimp streets, mm-hmm. um, not sidewalks everywhere you'd like to see them. And so we've we've really we're really guarded about mostly student safety because that's what most of the pedestrian activity is, and making sure that 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 y'all can get to and from school safely, right? And you feel good about that trip. You know, you're not having to walk across a jagged sidewalk or hop a curve and then cross the street and then hop back over to get, uh, you know, to get to and from school to do what you need to do. Hmm. And I think everybody does is doing a pretty good job of it personally. Of course, I'm probably biased. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would say planning a city isn't usually on the forefront of an average citizen's mind. But can you tell us how does your work in the planning department impact residents on a daily basis? Well, I think people, I think it's important, and we started doing this about 10 years ago. Um, the planning and development is very, very jargon-laden. Mm-hmm. It's very technical, and so it becomes a little bit, it, it's, it can be easily confused by anyone who's not dealing with it every day. It's confusing to me sometimes, and this is what I do for a living. <laughs> so that was one reason why we started that, is to get the public engaged and understand why things are done the way they're done, all the different things we look at and all the things that have to happen before that building can go up and how it operates. How's it going to work? How are you going to park it? Um, what are the, where are the access points going to be? You've got to have so many entrances here because we want to activate the street. And so these plans get agonized over, vetted, reviewed. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes before the public even ever knows what's what's happening. And so one of the purposes about the academy and one of the things, one of the things we're trying to do a better job of is just make things as transparent as possible. And, um, you know, I always tell people we don't hide in our offices, you know, folks should be for us to engage the community, the community, you know, it's, it's a two way street, right? You know, communication, it takes two. And so, you know, we're doing the best job we can of getting the word out there about developments. Um, I think the media, all the different local media, they do a good job of staying on top of things and making sure folks are informed, whether it be the, the TV, the Auburn Village, or the OA News, what have you. And, of course, we have our public information component as well at the city. And um, we want people to know there there's no reason why there should be any surprises about anything. This is all done very deliberately. Um, the buildings that are being built, people have various opinions about them, but they meet our requirements. They meet a lot of the goals and objectives that we said we wanted when the comprehensive plan was adopted, and that was very much a community-based plan. It was a three-year process. We just did a comprehensive update that was adopted last year. Um, so all these things are very much being stayed on top of, and and there is a there is a reason why everything happens the way it happens. So. Mm-hmm. So when I'm walking on the sidewalk on my way to campus, that was you guys. <laughs> it was it was the city. It was the city. <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, we got a lot of folks doing a lot of work in a lot of different places, and you see, I mean, you see how we all the infrastructure projects that are going on around town, all the intersection improvements, um, all the sidewalk improvements, uh, and you know, given the workload that that we have, I think uh, I think things actually work pretty darn well. All right. So. One big thing the planning department takes on every year is a comprehensive plan. What goes into making that plan? Well, uh, there wasn't a parcel-based land use plan um, prior to 2005. Hmm. Uh, 
we started working on it post haste, not too long after I accepted the position mm -hmm. here. Took a while to get the right people in place to establish the framework, and I knew it was going to be a multi-year project, and it was a three-year right. effort. And so, uh, a lot of public everything we do that any planning effort we we undertake, whether it's the comprehensive plan or a neighborhood plan, you've mm -hmm. probably heard of the Northwest Auburn neighborhood plan that was done recently. Which won an award? Won an award. The Opelika Renew Opelika wow. Road corridor plan won an award. Mm -hmm. The downtown master plan won an award. The comp plan won an award. Um, those those cannot succeed without significant public input. Mm -hmm. And folks, not only do they need to be reached out to, they need to know that their input was actually taken into account and mm -hmm. reflected in the plan. And we make every effort we can to do that because if you're doing a community plan, you don't have buy-in from the community. I don't care if you, you, you may have a plan on paper, but you don't really have a plan because yeah. it's not going to be embraced. It's not mm -hmm. going to be accepted. And that's why public input is is such a critical part of the planning process. And that's why the planning process takes time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I say this story a lot, but my first boss was the city manager in a relatively small retirement community, my first job in Punta Gorda, Florida, Southwest Florida. And I was actually working in the city manager's office. And I was a very young guy at the time. I was 24, and he was actually a pretty young guy at 36. And uh, I get so frustrated about getting things done. I just want to get everything done yesterday, you know. <laughs> he said, Forrest, people that tell you that you can run government like a business don't know what they're talking about. Government's not designed to be efficient. It's designed to be safe. And that's because mm -hmm. everyone gets to have a say. Mm -hmm. And that's what the public right. process is all about. And that can be frustrating. That can be time consuming. Um, but it's absolutely necessary. Hmm. And, and he was right. And I, I've generally learned that a lot of times if it were a plan that were just up, if it was just up to us in the department to go back to work, write a plan and here you go, we could do it. We could probably do it in a year, but mm -hmm. it can't work that way. And so it takes two years. Maybe sometimes it takes three years, but hopefully, and I think this is the case when the, when the plans have gotten done, they've got been done correctly. And I think the city does a very good job of, implement plan implementation as soon as possible after adoption get out there do a public project if you recall renew opelika road what did the city do as soon as that plan got adopted we made improvements to the segment between ross mm -hmm. and gay frank brown on one side post mm -hmm. office on the other so that people could see oh wow the city actually did what it said it was going to do and i think we've won a lot of people over that the, me the median placement was very controversial at the time because businesses thought their access was going to be impeded. But mm -hmm. what happens with public investment is private investment follows public investment. If mm -hmm. you go down a street corridor and you make the improvements that we've made, what are you doing? You're increasing the value of everyone's property, which mm -hmm. then gives mm -hmm. them an incentive to keep up with their property, to revitalize their property, to make the most out of their property. And I think you see that, I think you see that going up and down Opelika Road today, you know. It's like take take a look at pictures of that streetscape ten years ago and, and and look at it now and it's it's been fairly dramatic right fairly mm -hmm. dramatic change right so that public input um where where do you get that public input from we get it from various sources okay um we've done things such as real time surveying where folks are actually responding to questions at a public meeting mm. about their preferences we did that with renew opelika road for example um we have public input meetings 
Uh, we actually look at the area that we're studying and we target what we would call stakeholders, which are typically typically property owners or folks that own property that okay. essentially, um, what are their needs? What would they like to see? Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do from a regulatory standpoint to encourage them to reinvest in their property? Um, we did a lot of that with uh, in Northwest Auburn, for example. The mm-hmm. conduit that we used a considerable amount were pastors. <laughs> Working through the churches, we actually had uh, we had a couple of neighborhood meetings at churches. It's important if you can have your meetings in the community. Don't mm-hmm. make the community come to you. Go to the community. That's that's where you're working and that's what you're studying. That's where folks are comfortable. They're comfortable yep. in their own neighborhood. And so that's what you do. Um, you know, renew Opal like a road. We had meetings at Frank Brown. Um, so we try to find meeting places that are within. The, the, the study boundaries of what we're really looking at and trying to, to do the best we can to get the input that we need to get from folks um, so we make sure that we have a plan that truly reflects what the community wants and not what just what the city wants. Right. So how does the Planning Commission play into that? Well, that's a good question. They are, um, we essentially lay the foundation, review the scope, uh, we go through the public process, and we've typically, we've had interval, we have a lot of what I call work sessions with the planning commission, where the, <laughs> the planning staff mostly sits down with the planning commission. We give them status reports of kind of here's where we're at. Mm-hmm. And then when we think we've got the plan in final form, um, for example, we've, we recently completed at the staff level a focus area plan for the Cox Wire Road area. Yeah. Okay. We had a couple of big public input meetings. So... We've given the planning commission interim status reports, but what happens a lot with planning is we just get we get so many things lined up in queue, we have to have a pecking order. So mm-hmm. the big issue we're working on right now with the planning commission is getting some short-term rental regulations in place. As soon as we get that done and we're ready to get that on through the public hearing process mm-hmm. with both the planning commission and the city council, once the planning commission concludes its work session activity with that, we'll be we'll be bringing the final recommendations on the Cox Wire Road plan in a work session capacity. So anything that comes to them of substance, any, anything other than just like a typical application from the public for a rezoning or something, anything that I would consider to be street strategic, Mm -hmm. we're always meeting with the planning commission well before they're asked to consider it at a public Mm -hmm. hearing. So um, they are a very, very busy bunch and the folks that do that work, it's fairly thankless. Um, They spend a lot of time, you know, in the planning business, you're dealing with people's property. People's property is typically their their biggest investment, their right. homes, things that are near and dear to them. And so it, in, it inherently lends itself to, to contention at times. Mm-hmm. You know, folks get concerned when something's being built next to them, and I understand that, and they need to understand why that is allowed to go there and what are some of the implications of those kinds of things. But, uh, but um at the end of the day, it all works. You know, like I said, it's kind of like making sausage. It can be messy at times to get there, but usually <laughs> the final product's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you talked about these a little bit when you were talking about the Planning Commission. There are a lot of different topics and issues that will come up through the Planning Commission and onto the council. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I wanted to go through some of those and ask you kind of what your role and the Planning Department's role was in them. And we'll start with the big one that you just mentioned, short-term rentals. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. Um we're you still know, in the middle of it, right? We are. We are. Um, I'm pretty. I, I think we're. I think we're past the hump. I think we're ha- past the halfway point. I'll, I'll say that. You know, this is something the staff, the city's been monitoring for some time now, and we know that 
each year we've had inventory increase and that this activity is occurring. So at some point you've got to say, all right, well, this has got to be sanctioned in some way, shape, or form. If you know, it's something that can you can get complaints about. Well, what do you, what does the city do if they get a complaint about it? But you don't really have any regulations in place to 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 have any kind of framework for what you do. So we began to work on this um, at the staff level early, probably the early part of eighteen. Uh, a lot of issues involved with it. You know, we did a lot of research, a lot of benchmarking. I'm one of those folks that doesn't believe in reinventing the wheel. <laughs> so I rely, you know, nothing in local government's proprietary. So I rely a lot on peers in my profession. Hmm. I, I talk, I talk, I email with a lot of different um, planning directors, typically in college communities and typically in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, planning director in Tuscaloosa is an example. The planning director over in Athens, Brad Griffin. We're very unique environments, and we sh- all share the same problems and challenges. So it's it's easy to pick up the phone and talk to folks because chances are they've they've de- someone's dealt with it before we've dealt with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I use a lot of that information, and then I try to take sort of my knowledge of the community and what what do I think is going to work, and what do I think will be palatable for Auburn, knowing what I think I know about Auburn, having been here. Um, and put something together, and we troubleshoot it, and we bounce it back and forth at the staff level, and then we think, okay, we're ready to get something with the planning commission. And, of course, you may recall right after Mayor Andrews was elected, he appointed four separate task forces to deal with some fairly pressing issues. Yeah. Two, two of those were very, very planning-driven, which mm-hmm. was student housing and short-term rentals. And so we met, we, had, we met with the task force on a regular basis. Once the task force had pretty much completed its work, it was time to get the planning commission involved, which mm-hmm. is what, so we just had our first meeting with the planning commission um, earlier this month mm-hmm. on December 3rd. And because the holiday's hitting and all that, um, we're going to meet again on the uh, 14th. Um, but it's a lot, you know, there's a lot of important points to ponder. There's a lot of decision points that have to be in, you know, and, and uh, it's healthy, but you get a nine member body together they're not all they're not all going to agree and nor should they that's why you've yeah. got nine, pe- nine people on the body because everybody brings different ideas and perspectives so there's some still some important decision points to make i thought the meeting we had on the 3rd which went about 2 hours i thought it was exceptionally productive i thought the dialogue was great um it made me feel really good about getting this through uh in what i think is a reasonable and manageable amount of time so that's kind of how it works well sometimes we'll have a task force involved then it'll go to the planning commission they vet it, they get it where they think it needs to be, and then we begin the process of going through the more formal uh, public hearing process with the Planning Commission and the City Council. So uh, folks have a lot of opportunity to be engaged in the process throughout that time. And because right. of all that input, like I said, it just it just takes some time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, like you mentioned, the other task force was uh, the Student Housing Task Force, and they've got a big vote coming up this coming Tuesday on that um, moratorium. Yes, the council has got an item on their committee of the whole agenda to discuss the prospect of a student housing moratorium. And so staff, as in, in, in due large part to the work that the staff uh, had to do on the student housing inventory, there's a lot of information that can be made available to the council for its purposes, having just done that. So um, I, it's a very serious decision that mm-hmm. they have to deliberate, and I'm sure they'll they'll do what they think is in the city's best interest. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if that were to pass, how do you think that impacts Auburn? Well, there's a lot that goes into that. Obviously, you know, 
folks are aware that this is being discussed, so that influences activity on the private sector side of things. Um, it, I thought the moratorium that we, you know, we had a moratorium in place for almost in the entire year of 2015 um, on multifamily type development. Mm -hmm. And that was large, mm. due in large part to a concern about student housing and yeah. proliferation and appropriateness and all those kinds of things. And we did that at that time because we knew we had a lot of issues to deal with, much of which we felt would be addressed and rectified by the downtown master plan. The downtown master plan was in, was in its latter stages at that time. It gave us a chance to do some things from a regulatory perspective and, and investigate some options that um, it was kind of like a it was a perfect storm in a good way because we had this downtown master study plan area. But that study plan area also happened to be the same area where we were seeing a lot of student housing interest. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to to do some very specific, um, we basically increased the scope of the study, threw in some regulations to deal with student housing very directly and specifically, and then get it all done as part of that downtown master plan package. And so, you know, I, I think if it had not been for that moratorium at that time, and the time that it enabled us to get some things done that we would not have been able to get done in time to better focus student housing, um, I think looking back at that process, we're in a better place today for having done it. You know, I think the city was able, it, it gave the city the opportunity that the city needed to address a problem, an issue, and better focus it, develop a better construct, locate it better, and that, that plan is largely playing out. We incentivize student housing development on the west side of downtown, where we've mostly mm -hmm. got a lot of older housing stock, much of which needs to be redeveloped, and by incentivizing those that area in terms of density allowance, that's where they're going. And so what I always say is the plan's working. If you don't like the plan, then let's change the plan. Mm -hmm. But understand that the plan that's in place is actually working. Yep. Um, Matt, um, you did mention this one a lot, the Renew Opelika Road project. Yes, uh, yes, I project. can certainly talk about that. What kind of, that's been approved and all that, and it's got, I think, four phases? Five phases? Uh, there, there's multiple phases of the actual streetscape improvements. When that plan <laughs> was done, a lot of what we try to do when we did this with downtown is once we feel like the plan is pretty well embraced and it's going to get adopted, we start working on the code. Yeah. So everything we do, it's it's two layers. You've got your <laughs> land use and your comprehensive planning. Then you've got your actual re zoning regulations that have to okay. be developed and put in place in order for the vision of that plan to be realized over time. So what I call would be what I call a city initiated or mass rezoning. You know, all the property that was in the study area of downtown was rezoned as part of that plan, mm. right? You may recall we had this more sort of broad brush, more generic university service district. Yeah. Which surrounded downtown. Mm -hmm. And then we decided mm. to take a more surgical approach and create these urban neighborhoods representing the, that these different areas mm. have different characteristics. So now you have an urban neighborhood mm -hmm. west, east, and south. Their university service okay. is gone. It was eliminated. We right. also expanded the downtown primarily to the south, mm -hmm. the urban core. Um, and with Renew Opelika Road, we, we kind of recognize what we call kind of the urban section of Opelika Road, which is kind of that two-lane section that's a little more intimate, that's closer into downtown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, it, you know, Opelika Road, as you're going east and you start approaching Dean, it widens out. And then it becomes much more suburban in character. So we created zoning districts that specifically acknowledged and took into account those two different environments that you have along the corridor. Right. And, um, and I think it's working really well. Uh, you know, I think it's just everybody's waiting to see what happens at the corner of Gay and Opelika Road, you know, mm -hmm. where yeah. Guthrie's used to be. And that's going to be, I think that's going to be a real catalyst. 
for development. I just read about an, an independent bookstore going in where the old Dayspring was, which I think is a great use at that location. Right. Uh, and, and so those types of uses are going to be are going to begin to expand sort of the pedestrian sphere. Mm-hmm. When you start getting uses like that, you're going to see people walking. There. You know, I live I live up off Shelton Mill Road in Pickwood subdivision. I can walk downtown in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I do it with increasing regularity because the the walkability and my pedestrian experience is so much more pleasant now than it was mm. 10 years ago. Wow. There's more things to keep your interest as you're yeah. walking. Um, and I think you're going to see more and more of that. I think that's great. I mean, I think that's what we want to see. That's what kind of keeps, that's what keeps communities interested, engaged, and vibrant. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think things go, are going in a pretty positive direction. So I'm going to give you a couple places and I want to see if you can tell me what zone they're in without <laughs> looking at anything. Okay. <laughs> they're big places. All right. So here's a big one. The Auburn Mall. That is going to be CRDS, Corridor Redevelopment Suburban. It used to be CDD. <laughs> what about the um, the Frank Brown Recreation Center? Frank Brown is CRDU, Corridor Redevelopment Urban. It used to be RDD. Wow. Get current and past. Hey. What about the Boykin Community Center? Boykin is going to be CRDW, Corridor Redevelopment West. About- Formerly, it would have also been RDD. Hmm. How about Fusackley's? Fusackley's is CDD. CDD. It has been CDD. It hasn't really changed. Okay. Um, it's been a lot. It's been a few different things. Yeah. But it's always been CDD zoned. Hmm. How about the Walmart on South College? That should be South College Corridor District, SCCD. It would have been CDD prior to 2015. This is great. <laughs> do people just call you and ask you for a zone oh yeah they call all of us and ask us the zoning all the time most of my folks in the department can tell you the zoning of just about anything off the top of their head now nc gets a little bit complicated because yeah. nc is a residential district and there's a lot of different nc categories mm-hmm. based on the size of the lot so we typically we're not going to have that committed to memory mm-hmm. but when you really get in non-residential uses chances are my folks are going to be able to tell you what it's zoned without even having to look at anything right wait does NC stand for non-commercial or? It's neighborhood cons- neighborhood conservation. Neighbor- oh, I knew that. Okay, it's the most restrictive zone that we have. So. Okay, I got. One. I don't know if I don't know if that I don't know if this is if this is good or depressing. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I'm, one, I'm one more you. one more for you. The uh, bed and breakfast. I think the Crenshaw bed and breakfast. Neighborhood conservation in the North College Historic District. Look at that. Super specific. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Mr. Glad Cotton. I had fun. Yeah, thanks for having me over. <laughs> Well, that about does it for us today. I think uh, Mr. Cotton was certainly interesting and had a lot of fun points. Yeah, definitely. It was like uh, talking to an encyclopedia about the zoning ordinances. Oh, yes. I I honestly <laughs> did not think he would know them all that well. I think he'd be like, oh, I think it was this one. Like, yeah, I thought I could was... I thought I could stump him, but uh, I, I should have picked something a little bit more um, obscure. And he knew the old ones, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'd like to thank Weagle and Grayson Moyer for allowing us to borrow their studio. You can find our podcast and other Plainsman podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Hurley. And I'm Evan Mullins. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to the Auburn Plainsman's network of podcasts. Join us next week for the next episode of Public Hearing.